I have been playing Diablo 4. Well, actually, you know what? I lied. I haven't been playing Diablo 4 Season 1 because I just gave <laughs> up on it. It's not that Ooh. Diablo 4 uh, is a bad game. I have said that Diablo 4 is a is a 9 in my book. Gaming Trend gave it a 10, 100, but to me it's a 90. But with the amount of time I have played Diablo 4 and the amount of time I have grinded it a lot in a short period of time, I was hoping Diablo 4's Season 1, Season of the Malignant, would provide something more interesting to do away from the typical regular Diablo 4 stuff, which is... I don't know if that's a fair expectation. I will totally put it out there. I'm not entirely sure that is a fair expectation, okay? But I have to say, when I flip on Season 1, create my Season 1 character, and I have to kind of redo everything, get all the waypoints again, go through the different areas, and literally redo the same activities that I've been doing for the last 200 plus hours, that kind of bothers me because I expect something enough that feels like it freshens the typical experience that I've been doing. Diablo 4 Season 1 doesn't do that. So what it does, it provides a little bit of a new story to go through. And I can say that that story that you get doesn't feel impactful enough to justify its existence. It just feels like, okay, here's a new setup of something. Lilith has these malignant creatures that have erected in Sanctuary, and you basically have to go deal with them. So the very first, you know, I, I guess maybe two, two hours-ish sets that whole thing up and then you spend the rest of the season completing a whole bunch of different challenges meant to progress you through the season pass and get you what are now called malignant hearts that you can use for your build for your character and these malignant hearts you get from different elite enemies or just you know sometimes just different enemies and you basically kill the enemy malignant heart appears um and you have to refight the enemy in order to actually get the heart. So once you get it, I think there's four different hearts that you can have that give you different abilities for your character and you input them into different sockets. So they act like jewels. They kind of take that over. They're still jewels, far less of them because of the malignant hearts, but that's what they do. And they add pr some pretty cool abilities to your character. My problem is, is that in and of itself doesn't give enough for me to make it feel like I'm going to use my character differently. So with the rogue, I have found a build that works for me really, really well. And I don't really deviate from things that work well. I'm kind of one of those min maxer type of people. So whatever works is what I'm going to go with. And the malignant hearts Change it just a little bit, but not enough for me to completely, to feel like I need to completely change what I have been doing before so I can really enjoy this thing. So that's kind of the disappointing part. On top of that, a lot of the challenges, at least in the early part of the season, were in Fractured Peaks. I'm burnt out on Fractured Peaks. I don't want to go through Fractured Peaks anymore. We were at Fractured Peaks in the beta. Three times, I went through Fractured Peaks in the review, and now I got to go through Fractured Peaks again. And then none of the activities that you do in Fractured Peaks are actually different. It's literally the same side quest, the same story quest. Nothing is different. And that's the dis disappointing part. That is what I was looking for. You know, when I go into Overwatch and they have a completely different mode, at least it feels different, even though I don't play it a lot, or at least for a very length of time, it feels kind of different, right? They had that, um, what was that little Call of Duty mode where you got to pick up the tags off the the ground, Noah? Oh, yeah, it was like their version like kill of confirmed. Kill Confirmed, yeah, yes. where you pick up the like, little 
orbs things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it it felt different. It was like, okay, this is a different way to play Overwatch. This is, like it, this is different Overwatch. Yeah. It feels refreshing. It feels different. Something like that, right? Capture the flag, right? In Overwatch. It, fe- it feels different. That is not what I get from Diablo 4. That is what I was hoping. That is what I was expecting. Blizzard has said that they're using these seasons as a reason for people to just experiment, try to do stuff, basically kind of create their own fun. And that's fine. And maybe that's why this isn't resonating with me. I kind of want them to kind of get me to do something different because again, this might be just a me problem. My temperament is I'm just going to do some the same thing until either I get completely bored with it and want to do something different or, you know, you force me to do something different. So in terms of season one, it's like, okay, well, I haven't tried all the characters so I could create a new character and just make my own fun that way. That's cool. But I, I could also do that without starting a new season. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't have to play the season. I could just do the story and, and do that. I could. The one thing I was hyper concerned about and a lot of Diablo players were really concerned about was the idea that you had to create a new character for the season. I didn't think it was going to work. It does. It, it's fine. I didn't feel bad creating a new rogue character. What I guess what kind of made it feel okay was the fact that I hit level 20 and 30 really fast. Like it felt faster than I would through the story. I don't know if that's actually true. So I'm burnt out on Diablo 4 at this <laughs> point. Like I need something significant for it to make me come back. I know, you know, if Noah asked me or if one of my friends asked me like, "Hey, you want to play Diablo 4?" Absolutely, yeah, cuz I I do love the way Diablo 4 feels. I've just had enough of it. I had too much of it at one time. So at this point for me, season 1 doesn't really do what I would like it to do to keep me hooked. Well, yeah, like the progression is on a totally new character, right? Seems like yeah, a very odd but that's not why I'm burnt out on it. It's mostly because I'm I'm doing stuff that I've been doing. The progression stuff is cool. Um, that's fine. I don't mind starting a new character and reprogressing that character and rediscovering some some things I've already been using. But I've like I said with fractured peaks, I've done all the strongholds like six times. I've done the side quests a billion times. That part is like oh, I just. So you want to go some, like fresher area. content in that area? Yeah, just switch things up a little bit. Yeah. You know, like I I didn't get into the season because I just don't have time to play that much Diablo. I, it took I think I finished the campaign a week before the season started. That's how behind I was, and the fact that you know doing a lot of this in Fractured Peaks just I was not expecting that. I was thinking maybe towards like the Oceanet oceanic parts like the sunken uh or like all the i can't remember what the enemy type was called but it's the part where you go in the coffin in the story yeah yeah. i was thinking it'd be somewhere around there like out on the corners of the map or something not at the beginning Uh, so let me so let me be clear there are a lot of challenges that send you to practice peak so if you want to progress the season and kind of it's very Destiny-like in like, hey, complete these very specific things in this specific area so, could, so you can like get to the next part of the you know seasonal story stuff. It's very much like that. It's just the first part of it is in Fractured Peaks. So you could go anywhere you want. You can absolutely go anywhere you want because you have to beat the story in order to even do Season 1 in the first place. So you can go anywhere you want. You already have your mount, all that stuff. But in order to progress some of the early challenges, it does take you through Fractured Peaks at the beginning. How long is how long are the Diablo seasons? Are they three months? They're three months, yeah. Three months. It's kind of a reoccurring theme that I've seen in a lot of like seasonal model video games where whenever you have like a big expansion or like the initial drop, generally the corresponding season is not that heavy in terms of content or complexities. Like that's usually saved for 
some of the later seasons that don't drop at the same time as like the base game, which I know season one was started afterwards, but it almost makes me think of they're saving some of their uniqueness, maybe for later seasons. They kind of you're wanting where it's kind of Diablo still, but it's different things to do in Diablo. Yes. So they had season one planned and pretty much not ready to go, but it was pretty much ready to go by the time Diablo four was out. And they're kind of working on season two right now as season one is going probably finishing it if not already done, probably Mm -hmm. moving on to season three. So in terms of structure, they're doing it right. You know, they're not waiting to the last minute to to start the, they, they want this thing to be long-term and they are putting things forward in order to make that happen. The, what I wonder is, is if they're just being that ambitious with this, um, or even if that what you're talking about is their end goal, I'm not sure. I don't know why you just wouldn't lead with a bang to start season one. You know, season like one. why, why, why wait <laughs> to to do something I, really interesting from the start? I I, feel- I don't know if that's because they want to ease people into it. If if that is what yeah. they plan on doing. I'm just, I wouldn't understand that logic. I'm like, lead with something that captures me and gets me looking forward to the next season as well as I'm doing season one. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I feel like I read in an interview somewhere where they were talking that like the future seasons will be bigger than season one. Like season two will have more to do than season one. I could be misremembering, but that just makes me curious is to see, you know, what season two is because season one, like I thought the concept was like kind of cool. It's like the mental, the malignant stuff. I was like, okay, that's mm-hmm. kind of cool. Were the hearts the thing that took up inventory space that people got mad about? That was the jewels. Gotcha. Uh, so though you just get a billion of those. Ooh. I mean, yeah, not, it's usually the item that you got the most of because there's so many different kinds. So you just end up putting a, Filling your storage up with all of them. Um, and it was useful to have extras of some just in case. But um, yes, that the jewels is what. So the malignant hearts kind of take over that spot a little bit. There's still jewels that drop. Um, but there's also not as many. And there's not a whole bunch of malignant hearts uh, to get. Uh, but you can like make your own you know depending on different things i will say i think one of the the negatives too is that because diablo doesn't have dedicated loot or named loot uh in the same way you know a destiny or a borderlands has um that also doesn't help at least with me because i wish i wish there was something i were searching for while all this is happening season because they got new weapons and gear and stuff to look forward to but it just drops there's no way you could just go find it somewhere yeah it's just like a world drop essentially where everything everything is a world drop exactly yeah Yeah. so there is named loot but yes it's all world drop so that sort of stuff is i wouldn't say disappointing but it it doesn't it doesn't provoke me to want to play it if if it were there, then yeah, I'd be like, oh, you know, maybe I'd go search for this thing. <laughs> you know, at yeah, least. Add, add the new drops into the seasonal content. Yeah, just find no a way shit. to make it somewhere where you can farm for it or something. Uh, even if it keeps its similar rarity. I don't know if that would work, but um, you know, that guarantees that people who play can experiment with the new weapons. And, and I think that's what I'm getting at. There's no experimentation. You know, you just got to kind of hope and you're just playing the game and hope something drops. And it's like, ooh, yep. you finally get it. Now you're experimenting. But I think that sense of I, I need to look forward to something isn't there. Well, it's a little aimless. Just kind of waiting to see until you get something that's like substantial or something that will actually go with your build. Yeah, I I would agree with that. It, it, It does feel aimless. The Gaming Trend Podcast.
So my updated view on games as a service is that there you have updated views on games as a service. Oh boy. Oh boy. What a shocker. Yeah. (laughs) Did not know of this before this moment. Okay. So just, just, uh, sorry to interrupt you, but just for context, uh, I don't know, I guess it was maybe five weeks ago. Yeah. It was a few. You were, Yeah. yeah. In a past episode, we got on the discussion of live service and you felt that if I'm accurate, you felt that, they're kind of pointless. You wish they didn't exist in in that way. Is that not, accurate? Not exactly pointless. I just think they're kind of like a weed in modern gaming. Like they're they're used yeah. too much, and you know, they don't. Some weeds really, are beautiful. Some weeds are beautiful, but this isn't one of them. Like okay. it comes to every game these days, whereas it used to be things like TF2. Like we used to get like a quality model for it in games that were appropriate for it. It's in every single triple A these days. Okay. Or a lot of triple A's these days, I should yeah, say. Yeah, okay. There we go. Okay, so what's your that updated was hyperbole. view now? My updated view is that I wish it would be used less and more more like a scalpel scalpel rather than a sledgehammer. It diminishes the quality of games a lot. And we can see this in gamers' reactions to these games. Like currently, let's look at Baldur's Gate. Oh, like a reverse example. Went I went to the Baldur's Gate example. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> so people are really celebrating it because it came out, complete game. You can buy an additional pack at any point you want. No FOMO, no nothing. People are happy with that. We have other games like Destiny. Um, Noah, I do not mean to rag on your, your favorite game, but it has some really unfortunate monetary practices. Okay. Like making the bundle cost of the in-game currency slightly under what you need to buy a pass. That's kind of messed up. I think that a lot of things that are currently in destiny we can see in reflected in the gdc 2022 destiny presentation uh they talk a lot about how they're building a train station not a train they were directly talking about how the previous model of games as a product was about creating a great game right off the bat like it would come out and it would either be great Like, let's look at Bungie's previous legacy of Halo. Like, Halo is renowned. It's hard to find a bad Halo game compared to Destiny, which is pretty hit or miss based on the seasons. It kind of seems like the games as a service model here isn't really working. Is that that your point? Oh, I just was throwing the ball back to you for a second. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, it looks like Noah, you have something to say. Go ahead. Noah. I just like, you have to remember that as a live service, Bunchy is trying to strive for consistency. And yeah, a lot of people didn't like some of the story expansions, some of the bigger ones. Uh, Life All Beyond Light was meh, but they did the one thing that they're trying to do and that's have players play the game. And but players are a little upset with the state of it right now. Wait till August 22nd and then we'll talk about whether people are upset about the state of the game. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's, the, that's the next destiny to showcase by the way, Jackson. That, that, is, that. that is when gotcha. destiny 2 drops its showcase. So, yeah, and destiny is such a weird um I could talk about this cuz I'm I'm watching it all the time. It's a crazy organism. Um, And I've said it before, Destiny 2 players are the ones who will criticize the game, hate on the game, dislike it, threat, you know, community managers, all of this crazy stuff because they love it so much and that's the one game that they play and they love to play. So at the end of the day, they cannot agree. They can dislike stuff, but they're still playing the game, which Bungie's eyes are, you know, if we can keep them playing, 
that's money in our pockets that funds the studio that pays the bills. Wait, he said at the GDC conference that the whole point of their train station model was that they were going for speed and velocity over quality and that they could yeah. focus on quality later. Which, you know, Bungie, their philosophy is they don't over they don't want to over deliver. Literally. No, he said that they had quality content ready to ship and that they didn't release it because that would be a hard standard to Yeah, that that's what over delivering means. <laughs> they that's don't want to deliver. Crazy. Right? Like that's good content that could have been released but for here's a game. You, here's what you have to realize though. If you're a live service game who is going to be expected to constantly dish out content. Exactly. If you exactly. set a bar, if you set a new bar, you're just going to keep being expected okay, to raise that so bar. This is my exact problem is that like you just said, it's a live service problem. It's a games as a service problem where because they have to keep reaching this new bar, right? They can't release that quality content. So what you are talking about is true. Obviously, Bungie said yeah. it. But you have to think about the context to by which they came to this place. This is 20. You said this is GDC 2022, right? Yes. Okay, when did they become independent? What is it, 2019? So Ish. they were under Activision at first. And Activision, we saw the contract. They wanted them to put out basically the Call of Duty model. They wanted uh, Destiny, uh, the big main game, DLC in between, and then the next Destiny, and then DLC in between, and expansions, whatever, and then the next Destiny, and that was supposed to last for the next 10 years. Okay? okay. So that's the model that they were under. That is what Activision was going to put money towards. So right there, they already have a situation where they have to create this content within a certain given amount of time and it has to, and the expectation is that it has to be up here at the top every single time but they felt like they were being constricted and from day one i was like y'all worked with activision after microsoft <laughs> that is who y'all got okay that's on you and it didn't work out for them so they get from under Activision, go independent, get into the free-to-play model, because that is, at this point, with the live service, they had to get into the live service model, because with the type of game that they were building, it's the only way Destiny could exist. Otherwise, we'd be waiting eight years for the next game. And they ain't got that kind of time. They got they got people to they got people to employ. They got to keep the, they got you know like people are working there. They can't just be working on the thing. At some point, there does have to be the business side of things where they do have to recoup some of this cost that they are incurring from developing the game. So logically, go into the free to play model. Since then, I have always made the argument that they have not figured out how to adequately. Uh, you know, monetize. Yeah, like how the um, the new content plus a season pass, rather than just being like buy the new DLC or get a season pass at both now. That seems like double dipping. If you if me. you buy yeah. the see the like annual expansion, you get that season included. It's just you have to buy the deluxe, you know, big edition to get all of the seasons. What he's saying though is that both exist. Pick one. Oh yeah, yeah, it's it's tough. Yeah, it's tough. It is double dipping. But my point is, yes, I have always criticized Bungie for their monetization model, but I don't blame them for going for live service. Again, how you monetize is different from the live service. You don't have to monetize in this way. Bungie has decided to do that, but they don't have to. This is the problem Overwatch currently has. Most people are critical of the monetization. Overwatch model. 2 was just a fumble. It was just straight was up a fumble. Absolutely. It is a fumble. There's no question about it. Yeah. Not putting out the PVE, just canceling. They should have never announced it in the first place. I stand by that. They, uh, in, they should have just kept it behind closed doors and tried it. If it didn't work out, nobody knew. But now heroes Current. are locked behind the 
Battle Pass 2. Again, monetization model. That is part of how do we get people to pay. That is a a strategy for people to pay. That is a monetization model. That is not a exclusive. Well, like you said earlier, the live service kind of demands the most needy monetization scheme possible. That is not always true. That's not always true. It's not always true. Knockout City took one monetization model. Season Knockout City. I haven't even heard of that game, to be honest. Well, it's a live service game. (laughs) Can you (laughs) mention more? Can you give me some more examples of like good live service monetization? Uh, That is a good thing. Just because, wait, wait, time out. Just because you haven't heard of it doesn't mean it's not a good live service monetization model. Oh, no, I'm not saying that. I'd just like to know of some that I might like know. Like, I'm oh, just but good live service monetization? I don't know. I mean, most. That's subjective. <laughs> like, I, I mean, like, I guess, but like, I feel like Fortnite is pretty good. Like, most people don't really complain about Fortnite, mostly because it hasn't really changed that much. It just is what it is. It is skins, it is uh, different modes given to you. It is, you know, what in terms of what you're paying for, Fortnite hasn't really changed what it does so i guess that is the most consistent monetization okay. model i feel like of the bigger games i i think apex is probably the next closest thing to that but in terms of what destiny is doing i mean it is a different beast because they're trying to provide story content they're trying to provide uh similar things to what uh fortnite does in terms of skins and all that stuff a little overwatchy in there as well so destiny is a is a complicated beast when it comes to live service stuff it it does mix everything in it but my point is my point in bringing up knockout it's City. especially a convoluted beast like i look at the steam store for like buying which de- you need a guide for that it can get confusing oh absolutely yeah yeah i mean that's not that's not new or like new to the the franchise i mean people have talked about the entry point for d2 has just been rough for years you know and bungie has made some strides but nothing significant but i don't think that's i don't think that's detrimental because of the the live service model i mean i i'm just saying for me i'd prefer to wait even many years for a game that's complete right off the bat, then I guess slowly slog through subpar service. And I would say that is an unrealistic expectation. And that's what most people don't it's understand about this whole for thing. years, though. But the budgets have exploded. Yes. <laughs> that's that's well, and, part and of the problem. Different to. And now games are $70 instead of 60 Or financially. Or- the way you foundationally lay out a game and have plans for the game, I think it varies. Like live service games are not bad, but not every game needs to be a live service. Right. That's yeah, I believe that entirely. That's my problem with it right now. Is that it seems like a lot of games are just leaning into live service to be live service. Sure. It's a it's a money decision and you have to think about what companies are it's, looking it's, at that. It's hard. Especially- it's you know, it's it's the hot thing. It's what brings in the exactly money. exactly and i think that overcomes the like art aspect sometimes or a lot of times is that it's so, about monetization over the art and which i cases, recognize completely that they need to monetize to make the art but oftentimes it goes overboard i bring up knockout city because that was a live service game a multiplayer game kind of arena style but set in a dodgeball style game so okay. this it lasted for nine seasons um, before it shut down. And I made the argument, I'm not sure Knockout City could even exist in today's environment without being live service because it costs so much to make a game now that imagine if... Halo 3 were to exist in today's age and just exist as a multiplayer game, no new content besides maps, nothing. I'm not sure even that could exist. Unless, of course, without the help of Microsoft's 
money on the back end. That's what Knockout City was. That game cannot exist for a length of time without being a live service because you have to build the game and then you have to continue supporting the game paying for the servers keeping those live and all that i'm not like yeah, i don't see how that so game much. i don't see how that game stays around it probably wouldn't even last as long as it did without sure. being a live service and that's a perfect example of a game that needs to be live, live service right so what i'm saying is live service is separate from monetization model that's all i'm saying with that example knockout with city life yeah. yes and so what i'm saying even with a game as big as destiny that's still a live service game but the monetization model yeah there's some schemey stuff up in there yeah exactly so now we get because right. they have to because of no, they don't. They don't. That's the point I'm making. They don't have to. So that's why we as the consumers need to separate when somebody is doing something schemey and not just equating it to live service bad. It's, Boulders, well, it's definitely but, more prominent in live service games, I'd say. Sure. It, of course. Yeah. How else are you going to fund a free-to-play game? Exactly. Right. So... Yeah, Right, so <laughs> the free-to-play, you put it out there, and if you don't do anything with it monet monetarily, then it's just going to die because you have nothing to pay for the servers and all the all the stuff that goes with that. Licensing fees and things like that. So, uh, so you put a free-to-play game out there. Always turns out to be a live service. How you monetize from there is what usually upsets people. Overwatch 2 goes from loot boxes and $60 to, to play it, $40, excuse me, for uh, 60 for the ultimate. And now you go to free to play, which the Overwatch community is not really used to for their game. Skins That's cost before more. they would pay $60, like a flat pr price, then yes. they'd have loot boxes where they could get all the skins. But you don't have to pay for it. Yeah, you don't no. have to. Everything well, I for, I wait, didn't wait, pay wait. one cent during Overwatch, and I got all the blessings yeah, exactly. of new maps, exactly. and content, and all that stuff. You so, paid no. sixty dollars, yeah, and I got a good game. Yeah, exactly. Now it's you pay sixty dollars, and no, you, you don't. Spend, oh Overwatch yeah, no, free. free. My my apologies. Yeah. It's free, and you spend. I think they calculated like three hundred years it would take to unlock all the characters or skins for free. That you can I, unlock for free. I guess that's if you want that stuff. I don't want that stuff. Yeah. I can play Overwatch. I don't give a flip. I can no, I'm that's, Overwatch that's a, 2 just fine. That's a big problem for a lot of players is that their progression, something a lot of players value, is locked behind that gate. And that's fine. And that's for them to decide if they're upset with that or not. But yeah. again, and a that lot is of gamers the, are. And Overwatch 2 is now they, the lowest rated game on Steam. But why is it? Is it because it's free to play or is it because the monetization model? I would say the monetization model okay. comes with the free to play. It I don't know why you keep game. saying that. I, I, don't, I don't I don't agree with that. Yeah. How does it the monet yes, monetization comes with free to play. You have yes. to. You exactly. have to monetize. No, that's what I to. But do you have to monetize the that way? No. But Blizzard has chosen to do that. The market has spoken. They don't like it. Now the question is: Does the does the money speak that way? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but what we see is yes, a lot of people are upset at this. So a game like Baldur's Gate comes out. It's huge, massive, it's wonderful, and ninety-seven percent on Steam right now. And it's done. Yes, yes. Yes, exactly. A lot of people would like that with their free-to-play games, with their live service games, of course. But the difference is they had that game in early access. They had the ability to build upon something that they've already been doing. So this is the peak of what they've been doing. Same engine. And then they had publisher backing to be able to do that. So a lot of things lined up for Baldur's Gate 3 to work in that way. You know why Battlefield 2042 sucked so bad? It's not just because of the monetization model. It's because of EA. 
<laughs> EA wanted something that was not Battlefield. It's yeah. not something that DICE uh, is, is good at. They and were so, chasing trends. It got drawn and quartered in five different directions during development. It was a mess. Exactly. And so it failed, obviously. Yeah. So is that because it turned out to be some live service game? No, it's because publisher demanded something that I would the developers weren't ready for. that the live service philosophy of release it half-baked and then improve on it later is also a problem there because that's but that's it's, admittedly it's free entry of... it's free entry though it's you can't free... expect to have a fully baked product wait and... battlefield 2042 wasn't free entry though battlefield 2042 is you can't think that every game is like battlefield 2042 oh, that no, just I had don't. so many problems we were just talking but... about it though i agree with the sentiment that I want all my games to be done and completed, bug free. Yes, ready to go. Period. That's one hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred percent agree with the sentiment. But it like is Baldur's unreal. Gate. Yeah, it, it, Baldur's right. Gate did it. We we've wow. had the whole system going for decades of game release complete. Do you know why Baldur's Gate was able to do that though? Why? I'm asking you. I take it because they didn't do the live service model. Okay. Games as a service model. They just. Is Jedi Survivor a live service game? No. Guess how that turned out? Poorly. So it's not just about live service. It is not about. Not entirely, no. Okay, well, you said Baldur's Gate is a success because it is not a live service game. Jedi it's Survivor. Oh, go ahead. Quality development, quality management. Ah, yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> we're getting somewhere now. Okay, yeah. These are the type of things that helped Larian Studios succeed. In the case of a Battlefield, in the case of Overwatch, in the case of Destiny, uh, in some cases Destiny. Yes, it is because they have a lot of different things working against them out frostbite engine for example ea made a uh, i don't remember how many years ago it was but they were trying to cut costs you know of course so they wanted every studio to use the frostbite engine because it costs more money to use third-party engines so everybody was using frostbite engine and it didn't work for a game like dragon age and so dragon age was or and anthem i believe also had the problem with frostbite engine so those games had longer development, tougher times, all that kind of stuff, because all because EA decided to make everybody use an engine that didn't work for the type of games that they were making. Guess what? That helps a game come out worse. Yeah. Larian Studios didn't have that problem because they've been using the same engine for years. Um, so you have uh overwatch with their current situation they're going from loot boxes because they had to if they want to you know be uh, all international and all that and free to play this is probably the best way to go about doing things well guess what their audience and they themselves were not fully prepared for the demands of free to play and so they were working on pve while trying to do a live service the live service was suffering so they were like, oh, God, okay, well, I guess we don't have the manpower to do PvE. Well, so they, it's because of the live service then, because they did not have the power to sustain the live service while, while also creating PvE. They did have the manpower, but not while. And then they had to drop PvE. the PvE and then bring yeah. it back at a cost, which they said it would be free. I don't know if they ever said it would be free, but they did bring it back at a cost. Uh, either all of that, all of that's just poor, poor decision making. That's because poor, that's wait, wait, wait. Poor My argument is that it's because it's games as a service. Is that the games as a service leads to the pressure being there? But again, Jedi Survivor doesn't have that problem. True. I wish like I wish I could think of other games off the top of my head. <laughs> but but with the with the problem with Jedi Survivor is 
most of the problems were on PC, right? So uh, there's the other one, Cyberpunk yeah, 2077. Yeah, that was just mismanagement. Okay, but that yeah, that but, Larian Studios doesn't have that problem. Cyberpunk 2077. That was a game that was in development for so long. Cyber uh, CD Projekt Red was feeling the financial pressure. That game had been in development for so long. At some point, they needed to start recouping the cost. So they were like, you know, this is the deadline. This is what we're going to do. We're going to definitely give everybody the PC copies and let all the review, you know, not put out the Xbox One and PS4 versions. Let people review the game. Blah 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 blah. Comes out on PS4, Xbox One. Sometimes PS5, Xbox Series X. Eh, broken. Not really great. They fixed Management. it in time, to be fair. And now there's a much-awaited <laughs> DLC for it. Sure. But how long did it take to get there? A year and a half? So my point is... Yeah, not but my all- argument is that it's like there are certain problems that are inherent to games as a service that aren't to product games. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And part of that is greed. 100%. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> there are also yeah, yeah. a lot of more different games, too. Like most of your live service games are online, multiplayer-driven games. Like most of your standalone RPGs aren't designed that way. The good feeling of being able to buy something and it just works—that is fantastic. Yes. There's nothing extra yeah. you do have to deal with. I again, I 100% agree with that. I just think the community—it's an unrealistic expectation. Uh, I would that argue every developer can do that. Even if I want every developer to do that, it's a it necessary is. expectation for gamers to have. That's a great way to put it. Necessary expectation, and I wouldn't take that expectation away from anybody. I would just say there are realistic issues that happen within game development that make that dang near impossible for everybody. But here, here's a sentiment I heard from Alana Pierce, and we'll end. We'll end it here. The sentiment I heard from her is that Baldur's Gate should create the conversation for developers to talk to their publishers and go, see, they had time and they had money. Give us that, we can make something great. That is ultimately the problem. Noah, I'm sorry, but before we get into this, the name of this, I mean, it could lead to all kinds of weird thoughts, Tower of Fantasy. What, what kind of fantasies like, are we talking about? Especially when your you know, main intrigue is the anime, like cool looking, you know, designed characters. And oh, stuff. no. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Um, I don't know if we'll be able to pull up gameplay, but you're going to notice at first, if you're watching the video, it's going to get a lot of comparisons because it is a Genshin Impact clone. (laughs) It does a lot of things that Genshin Impact does, um, acts a lot like it. There are some minor things that stand, that make it stand apart is like a different flavoring, such as it's kind of grounded in a sci-fi setting versus a like fantasy-esque atmosphere. Um, but it plays just like Genshin. It's going to get compared to that because it is, in my opinion, a superior product. Um, it's a third-person action RPG developed by Hota Studios. I believe they're a Chinese developer. I know they're a subsidiary of Perfect World, which is a Chinese publisher or one of the biggest. Um, it feels like a subpar version of the combat for Genshin. There's some elemental affinities for the weapons. Um, didn't really give me an opportunity to test it out. Uh, most of my initial game time was in dialogue scenes. There's some a lot of cutscenes, kind of JRPG-ish in how it's laid out. Um, the story, it's kind of complex and almost feels like they did a Yahtzee with it where they took like some elements with the dice roll threw them out on the board and we're like okay we'll do it in whatever order the dice plays um, basically you're on a planet that looks like it got copied out of a Ratchet and Clank video game very not cell shade-ish but it's got that little cartoonish animation style to it more like a Fire Emblem? Kind of sort of. Like, 
Genshin Impact. Not even no, not even Genshin Impact. Um, okay. Because it's a lot of like barren grounds and areas. Um, oh, I thought you were talking about like the art style. Sorry. Oh, the art style. It's yeah, a very very much like Genshin with its animation. Some of the characters, the NPCs that you talk to, are more cell shaded than I remember Genshin having. Kind of Borderlandsy. <laughs> oh, okay. So, yeah, it's cool. The uh, yeah, you're on this planet. There's a radiation kind of leaking from this mineral that's scattered throughout the planet that's supposed to be really important. So you have these suppressors that each person wears, kind of keeps them alive. Um, and they're kind of stranded on that planet because you're thinking, why won't you just move? You know, they're kind of stranded there. But yeah, you, you play as a customizable character, uh, male, female, whichever one's got pretty cool character customization. There's some cool hairstyles and stuff. Yeah, you woke up, your memory's gone. You don't know why you're in this shelter, what you're doing there. And then you'll progress along trying to figure out who you are, what's going on, kind of learning about the world. But it didn't feel good learning about the world because it would tell me things that I feel like I shouldn't know yet. And then later on would tell me things that I feel like I already should have known hmm. with your memories and filling those memory gaps in. Didn't really like that. It, it didn't feel like a, a singular progression of unlocking my memories. Odd pacing. Uh, yeah, very, very. Uh, like I said, it felt like they just scrambled up the plot points that they wanted to do, and we're just like, it'll go here, it'll go here. So you actually have three different weapons that you'll rotate through. There is PVE content in it, but you'll have three different weapons. Uh, they have elemental weaknesses, strengths. I got one element in my like five hours of gameplay. I didn't get another one, so I don't know how the whole world works with weaknesses, strengths, what's good against what. Um, yeah, there's a dodge attack. You have a heavy attack. Your standard stuff, it, it looks a lot like Genshin. I loaded up the game, and before I even logged in to select new game, I got a pop-up window with all of, you've seen them, like every mobile game has this. It's like, hey, here's all of the events we have going on this month. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even get to pre like enter in my username. And it's like, hey, all this PlayStation exclusive, all this currency, like event stuff. And I was just like, oh, man, I do not let me get into the game at least before you start, you know, showing me all that. Yu-Gi-Oh is notorious for doing that. Yu-Gi-Oh Duel Link. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's, it's, it's literally um, the UI just feels off. Like, I don't know. I know it has mobile, it was developed for mobile too, and PC, but the UI, the navigational, just feels off. Like some, some menus you navigate with the D-pad, some menus you have to navigate with the analog. It doesn't tell you which one. You just have to kind of figure it out. And some like some sections you have to scroll through with the directional pad, some once you swap over, it changes to the analog. Um, doesn't tell you what button to use for what. Just very odd UI. I, it definitely feels like a port. <laughs> like this game was not designed for controller. One of the things that really annoyed me, because I've never seen a game do this. Um, whenever it's progressing, like, hey, you unlock this new weapon. So go equip this new weapon. It pops you up into the you know your character menu. It's like, hey, to unlock this and select it, Press square and X at the same time. I'm on PlayStation, by the way. And I've never had a game to select something make me hold square and X. Like for the button. So it just, it threw me off. It feels off. I would definitely like to see that cleaned up. Um, maybe some adjustments. Wish that could all, you know, come post-launch and an update. That kind of thing. Uh, last thing. Um, it, you know describes itself as shared world i i came across like two people mm. that were just running i there there is some exploration because there's a big map that you can open up into um i didn't get far enough to explore outside like my initial shelter area um i ran across like two people i, I, I want to be fa i want to be fair here the game is celebrating its one year anniversary so i guess it's been out for a year 
So is it possible? Is it because everybody's moved on to a different part of the game and you're starting from you know I, closer I, to the beginning? I don't maybe, but I feel like um it just dropped for PS5. So I feel like um mm, okay, I see what you're saying. Like yeah, so release. Yeah, it came out on uh Android iOS window in December 2021 and then August 2022, I guess for the best. Um and then PS4, PS5 was earlier this month um but it, mm. the starting area is kind of in the lower part and then the map opens up like diagonally um so i i don't know i could it could have just been i played it an odd hour or the instances didn't line up you know um yeah i just kind of found it i was like i feel lonely <laughs> shared world where's where's my friends at i need some companions yeah, but yeah. I feel like when I start a new character on the division two, it's just like, dude, there's nobody here at the beginning. <laughs> where, where <laughs> yeah, everybody. Like, did I did I mess up the meeting time? You know, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> like, did I did I did I get PM and AM confused? Um, but I don't think the game is bad by any means. I just think that it's just not to the same quality as Genshin. And when I feel Genshin is going to be your main competition, because it's been so popular and so I guess well received by a lot of people and it's kind of still the game to play if you're wanting that uh, itch I just think it could do a little bit more yeah it's one of those weird problems Remember, I, I just talked about this. I think you were on, Noah, when I was talking about Lone Ruin, which is kind of a roguelike. I, I think you may yeah, have been yeah, on, yeah. Jackson. I was, I was definitely on. This. It's like the weird, almost Hades kind of game. Yeah, and it's like, why does this game exist? I should just play Hades, but I did have the realization that, no, somebody had a different idea and take on the way that game kind of works and did their own spin so I was like, no, I'm glad they they made it, even though it's inferior. I'm still glad they made it. There's some fun in it. I mean, it's true. There's yeah. some there's some fun in it, but this doesn't feel. I don't have that same feeling with this. It does. I do get more of a vibe of like, why does this exist? Like if, it's a Genshin I, Chroma. Yeah. Well, the reason. I think one one of the differences that some people have the combat in terms of. Um, the way you interact with like just regular ads littered throughout. Um, Genshin was kind of slower paced where you had the magical attacks that you would combo into each other. This is kind of more hack and slash. It's a little bit faster. Okay. A little, so it changes that way. And so I think if people prefer that um, and they don't really care for fantasy, they like more sci-fi robots, you know, kind of a grounded story. Um, then you know this they could prefer that over Genshin. So Dredge, love this game. First a hundred I've ever given a game. Wow. So pretty much, yeah, right. Um, special event. So pretty much. It's developed by Black Salt Games. This was their first game. So if you haven't heard of them, that's why. It was published by Team 17. You might know them from uh, Trapang or Blasphemous. Pretty big games. Um, or a bunch of other games that they've published. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was just shooting out two that are pretty popular lately. Here's the premise. You play as a fisherman. You've crashed upon the rocks outside of this small coastal town called Greater, Greater Maru, right? The mayor kind of wakes you up on the dock because he's like shouting orders at people. You go there, you do that. And so you're the fisherman for the town now. He sets you up with a new boat. and You're out into the ocean. No jarring exposition dumps. No long intro sequences. It's just you, your boat, and the ocean, and whatever fish you can catch. Um... Every time you sell a fish after that for a while, it actually goes back into paying off the debt for your new ship, which I thought was neat. It doesn't overstay its welcome. It's just a nice little narrative element. So pretty much 
you get onto the open ocean and you're looking for spots of disturbed water, which is where you can find the fish. It, you just see splashing at the surface. What I really like is that you can actually see the fish under the water in their outlines so you can tell what species what species it is and how many there are left because you can deplete stocks of fish. So the water is transparent or is kind of like a silhouette you can see the fish. It, it's just a little silhouette in the area of the disturbed water. Although occasionally yeah. you'll get like a special event with like a whale like breaching the surface or some dolphins. Um it's pretty cool. There's even a photo mode where you can take pictures of it. But back to the main parts of the game. Fishing is sizable chunk. Uh, every fish has its own shape, and your inventory is a grid system. So you got to kind of Tetris it in there. You got to make sure it all fits. It's inventory management. Some fish have very unruly shapes, so it gets like, I'd say progressively harder the more valuable the fish which fish have value based on like size, where you sell them, how fresh it is. It's a pretty good system. So what's the point of selling fish? Like, why do you need, why do you need the money? Okay, you want to buy boat upgrades. You want to get faster by buying better engines. You want to get more light because at night, everything becomes obscured. You don't want to titanic yourself upon a rock. So better lights mean you can see it coming from further away. But it also means you can stay sane. So at night, your sanity drops rapidly. This keeps on going like you have to rest to re like replenish your sanity. But once you've become insane, think like forces of the deep start coming after you. You'll just be sailing. Maybe you saw an interesting, I don't know, aisle just far out in the distance and you wanted to go explore it but night fell on you and now you're stranded in like the murky water pitch black you're insane and something's coming after you you don't know when you don't know where but you know at some point it's gonna hit you okay. <laughs> and when it does you're going to take hull damage which hits like a random part of your inventory Right. And since it's grid based, it could be like innocuous. It could take out a corner piece that you weren't using or it could just take out your whole engine. And now you're kind of dead in the water. And so the effects of low sanity really compound on themselves. And it really leads to some great tense moments. Um, that being said, I don't want you to think this game is all like spooky. It can be very, very serene when you're just doing the main quest line which is fishing it better be serene at some point oh yeah gotta love some fishing um the main quest line however is finding trinkets for this guy named the collector he just kind of appears in your ship and then tells you to meet him at an aisle near the starting town and you do and he's in his doorway and he's like hey I'm going to need you to collect these ominous deep sea trinkets for me, right? And so, okay, that's the main quest. You go do it. Uh, this kind of gets me into the aspect of corruption in this game because each fish has an aberration variant. Like one could have like a pouch that's bulging with creatures in it and the rest of its body is withered some have just like lacerations carved out of their body and bone protruding something in the depths is corrupting these fish and you have no idea what it is so kind of following this quest line of the collector right it'll take you to the various different island chains there are five in total other than the outside town or including the outside, the starting town. Each one you go to, you pretty much talk to a certain character and they have their own like backstory. They need you to help them with an issue and you just play it out like that. Uh, what I really like is how, despite the fact that, yeah, this this is pretty Eldritch Horror-y, it's really down to earth. And I think that's what sells it as Eldritch Horror is that these are just normal people in this kind of oceanic world who are just trying to get by 
they're not like some crazy out there characters. Like one guy is a fighter pilot who's like plane is downed, his platoon is all dead, and he's just trying to survive. It's really down to earth. And I think that sells the horror of it. I'm not sure if you said it, but what is the end goal? Is it just to survive? Uh, just collect things for the collector. That's the main okay. question. Yeah. Okay. I, I can't like mention more than that because after that is spoilers territory. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't want spoilers. Yeah. I just I just wanted to make sure like it wasn't like survival as well as collecting at the same time because you talk about all this sanity stuff too. So I'm like, oh great. Yeah. Like, like you are guess... definitely surviving, but there's no like hunger or thirst meter. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That sounds interesting. That'll do it for us this week. That was a lively one. That was fun. That was so, great. Yeah. Appreciate you watching. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you next week. Deuces. Peace. See ya.